I'm Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. Today, I'm joined by Chef Amor Mia Orino, the bubbly and talented artist behind Kamayan Atlanta. Kamayan Atlanta is a Filipino culinary company that caters, does pop-ups, and Mia and her partner, Carlo, have a new restaurant coming soon to the Pratt Pullman Yards in 2022. Introduce yourself to my listeners and let them know what you do. So my name is Amor Mia. I have a very Spanish name, as you can tell. <laughs> and um, I created Kamayan ATL, not for like, um, it's funny how everything happened by accident and out of emotion again because <laughs> uh, it was born out of being upset and a little angry that there was no filipino restaurant in a city such as atlanta so i wasn't living here i was still flying back and forth in hawaii and dc where there's the very diverse as a Hawaii, they said it's like 51% Filipino. Wow. Um, yeah, we have, because we petitioned grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, we're, we're, we're big clans, you know. So for me, like you said, food is what binds us together. So when I landed, I asked Carlo, because Carlo and I have known each other since we were 12 and 13. We weren't dating at that time. I was just visiting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we were high school friends. We used to like burn. We used to talk on the phone for like two hours, three hours, and I would hear his his dad. And, and he would hear my dad say, it's 1 a.m. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Friends. And then so he moved to Atlanta. He had a medical practice in Manila, but everybody was here in Atlanta, all the siblings. And his parents were getting old. And he's the youngest, as I am the youngest of six. Wow. But, yeah. And so he left Manila. He left a really good life. <laughs> I would always tease him. I would tease him sometimes. Don't you miss Manila and all its perks? You know, but family is here. And for us, family is everything. So, and that happened to me too, because um, I'm like, you call it like um, a menopausal baby. <laughs> we call it a menopausal baby. And we, we call it, you can say like, hey, ta-da. <laughs> my, my oldest brother was already in college when I was born. So, wow. <laughs> and then my mom has always said, cause um, prior to me, there were like four miscarriages. We're Catholics, four miscarriages. And my mom said, boy, this one is a fighter. The doctor said, this one's a fighter. Yeah. She's like clinging on to life. And then um, at seven months, I decided to come out and I was born in the lobby of the hospital. I didn't. Oh my God. You were just ready. Yeah, I didn't make it. And so they had to catch me in a basin. So my mom has always said, I'm someone who like couldn't wait, not patient, and just grab everything by the horns. Like I'm a grabber. Like I would like suck <laughs> like breastfeed. <laughs> just so um like animated. Like like I said, I cry easily. And then two seconds later, they'll make me laugh. Like, you know. And so they thought, oh, this this girl could be like. ADD or whatever, but <laughs> that I was just so passionate about everything, and um, I would stay quiet for a little bit, and then if I don't take it anymore, then I'll just like you know. But as being a, the youngest child in a family of loud voices, my dad has. We come from a family of lawyers on my dad's side, so you cannot be shy. You cannot be like if you're thinking of something, you got to voice it out, or you'll be drowned. So, so from early on, I, I learned to be like that. And so, going back to how I started, Kamayan was because like I landed here and I was famished for some reason. I was craving. Maybe I was like that time of the month that I was craving like Filipino, anything Filipino, the savory, the sour, the sweetness. But I come from a region where it's like spicy, by spicy, you know, like I. Munch what region do you come from? Um, it's Bicol. So um, the region, that particular region, our cuisine has similarities to Malaysian, to uh, Thai, to Lao. That's why probably Tip and I, Tip of Snack Box, we hit it off right at, off the bat because we're like, where's the chili? <laughs> <laughs> I love her food, oh my God. And we use a lot of coconut. And so we have a term, the, the entire, the, the rest of the country has a term for us, like Oragon. Oragon means like a fiery 
So because we're come and I guess it reflects on my person. I was about to say it's it's very oh, yeah. fitting. So yeah, so, <laughs> all those munching. You used to tell my mom. I think like she never really breastfed me. I think she would let me just left me with a bowl of chilies and coconut cream and. <laughs> this is what I prayed for. So I was really visibly upset. I don't know why. Um, as I got older, to be honest, I stopped eating Filipino when I was about 26, 96, something like that. Because mm-hmm. I was pre-diabetic already. And Filipino cuisine, we don't hold back. It's like, and because of the American influence, <laughs> American influence, our spaghetti is sweet. Everything is sweet. We love white rice. You know, there was a time when I was growing up, if we could only afford like red rice or brown rice, and that was so dirt cheap at that time. And now look at it now, red rice, brown rice, they're more expensive than the refined, really white jasmine rice. But yes. so I made a conscious decision um, to like cut back on Filipino food, just on like rare occasion. But as I got, got older, and at that time too, my mom just got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, dementia. So it was a con- convergence of, um, you know, kind of like, and her type of dementia was the type that she lost her ability to speak, lost her ability. She, she was a firecracker. Like, you know, she was hilarious. Um, I used to tell Howard and Ron Sue that Betty, their mom, and my mom would have hit it off because they have like those all purple you know, hair, they would just dye their hair red one second. And then, you know, there's just like the life of the party, like when, when they enter, you know, so I miss that. I miss the boisterous laughter of my mom. And the funny thing is that on her last trip, the interesting and the weird thing about her last trip to Hawaii was she brought all her cookbooks, but she never wrote, never, no one measured, you know, no one measured. And so she brought it and she said, oh, it's, it's about time. Because I married late. I married very late. When I was flying here, I just got divorced. My mom just got diagnosed with dementia. It was what probably year was this? 2017 when I started flying back and forth to Atlanta. We didn't from have Hawaii. So yeah, you were and, living in Hawaii. Yes, That's where you stopped from from Philippines. You lived in Hawaii and then to uh, Atlanta. DC as well. DC yeah. as well. Okay. Yeah. Because I went, I went to school there. I studied there. I, I work there. My my entire family, they're still there. They love Washington D.C. because it's always been diverse. You know, um, it's the capital. It's you know, for us, for us, Washington D.C. is um, welcoming has always been welcoming. So I never, I never thought I would live in the South. <laughs> Carlo is here and Carlo is home. So yeah, <laughs> he proposed like. Back in 2019, well, we've been friends for a, the life, the entire lifetime. That I said, um, well, we'll just do it whenever. And then COVID happened, and then Gian was like, oh, you know, you don't have to. It's just will just come naturally. So maybe one of these days, I'll just grab him in the backyard and take our vows. <laughs> so just like going back real quick i want to talk about carlo but i also want to talk about your mom so let's start with your mom because she came first you have talked about her a lot in your posts and yeah, yeah i used to hold back but then i started like i feel like i, I need to release it because it's not healthy <laughs> and maybe there's someone out there who has a mom or a dad who's battling alzheimer's as well and for, especially for our country, in our country, in our culture, they would just say, oh, it's just being forgetful. It's just old age. And so they don't get tested. They don't get that mm-hmm. And it's just pushed. And then the resentment grows from the children because why are you pooping in your pajamas? You know, it, mm-hmm. it was never addressed and there was never an honest conversation about it. So I, I started, I started sharing despite the shame Shame of what? Of Alzheimer's? Yes, because in our culture, just like a lot of Asians, they talk. They don't talk about mental health. They don't talk about dementia. They don't talk about anxiety. We just sing and dance and do karaoke. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. that's how it's how we're known, and we just push through every tragedy. We have. We come from a very, very poor country, a very corrupt country. So where the last name matters. That's why most of us left against our own will. There was a time that there was a brain drain and it broke so many families because of that. But the dollar is much stronger than staying with your family. And we're one example. Carla's family is one example. 
and they're so divorced <laughs> there's so many families imagine a mom leaving her young children to go to another country to take care of somebody else's child probably in our entire block just a couple of moms were where they are growing up. My mom, my mom has always been entrepreneurial. She was always around, but I have, so it's worse than divorce because you grow up, you receive this boxes. boxes. I've seen them at Manila Mart that people yeah. send them. Yes. Yeah. During the holidays. Yeah. We, we call that your, your mom's heart in a box. What are they called again? The boxes? Like Ryan, it, it means going back home, but it's only the boxes that comes and arrives every three months on Christmas, but your parent is not there. So I became, I became a, some sort of a de facto mom for my nephews and nieces. There was even a time that people thought in our community that I'm a single teenage mom. <laughs> my niece who was born here had to go back to Manila so that my brother and my sister-in-law can work properly because babysitting is so they just they would just dump dump it to me and and my dad my mom would come here um every once in a while to take care of but they all all 23 of them at some point i had to take care of them and i'm childless now so i always tease them when when i'm eight years old and i can't even remember my own name will you change my diaper katie (laughs) yeah so i would always tell them that so your mom, you said that she only taught you to make pepper beef, right? I remember yes, saying that. Because of a punishment. Because of, because of, but that was a lesson, which I think yes, I yes, would teach my daughter the same lesson. You know, yeah. I struggled to teach her that myself. But can you talk about her and your relationship with her and how she affected your relationship with food or what her relationship was with food only because she's such a prominent character in your social media presence when you do weave these beautiful tales about Philippine food and family. (laughs) Yeah, because my mom, my mom was the eldest of 12. So and they were born at a time where you go to school, you take off your slippers, and then because you have to walk from the villages, that's the world where she came from. But there was always, no matter what, they learned, my grandmother learned how to grow, like vegetables and anything that they would put on the table, they literally grew or it was their chicken. There was no such a thing as a pet. It's, it's, it would eventually be food on the table. So everything is sacred to her. Everything, no matter how simple the dish is, it's something to be thankful for because there will be 14 of them sharing that meal. No crumbs is left behind, literally. So, and then she married into like my father's family who use utensils, never ate with their hands. It's a totally different part of, you know, it's a totally different world for her. And so um, she only knew to cook dishes that are very basic as you would say, basic. But for me, it's like, she was like Maricela of Bicol. <laughs> she could turn vegetables into like something wondrous. And so, and then she entered into this family and this family would have cubiertos, you know, the the spoon and fork and knives and very like Spanish, very, they spoke Spanish. They, they came from political family. So my mom connected that and had to adjust to a different, cuisine but the funny thing is they're in the same country the same region but totally different cuisines and it she learned she learned that oh the type of food that you eat corresponds to your economic level your you know so food became like a different meaning but when she when when she started having children she would always go back to she still grew She's still, when, when we move, they moved back to Manila because she wanted her children to have better education, the education system in Manila. And so they didn't have a good job at that time. When you work in a government in our country and you're honest, then you're poor. And my father was. So she started growing taro leaves in a government plot. <laughs> it's just, no one was using it. No one was using it. And she started growing taro leaves. And taro is something you eat everything from the roots, from so everything for her, every dish 
when I was growing up because I was the last one. You know, this house was bought because I grew taro. We ate taro for months on end. So every dish has a story to her and a lesson along the way without her realizing it. And so even when we move up to we move up to like we could afford beef, you know, stuff like that. She would always say, oh, you remember? She would say to my older siblings and most siblings will just laugh it off. But for me, I absorbed everything because I was the youngest one. And for them, it was a long time ago. But for me, it was like because since I was the youngest one and the oldest was like 10 years old and I was born and they all grew, graduated from college and moved away. And my mom. I know every time she would reminisce her old, you know, life in the provinces, in the barrio, in the villages, it's always tied with food for some reason. So I learned how, how important food is in somebody's heart and soul. It's not just someone, something that you, oh, you're bored, you eat. No, it's nourishment. Food has soul. So I oh, guess. Your food definitely does. <laughs> You talked about like you basically taught yourself and just yeah. through kind of watching your mom. You can you please tell listeners the pepper beef story? I have this favorite dish. I was about eight or nine, and we call it yeah. I call it bistec. We call it bistec, and um, for us, like beef is something that you don't eat every day. And so we always had fish. We always had vegetables. And I hated this veg. I hated this fish at that time. It's in vinegar. It has ginger. It has. It, it would make me gag for some reason. I love it now, but back then, who knows what goes on in a nine-year-old mind? And so I only. I was obsessed with bistec. <laughs> and so it's a peppery beef with uh, shallots on like um, sauteed shallots on top. It's a very fairly easy uh, dish too, but it's so delicious the way my mom made it. And so as soon as she, she put down the, a big platter of fish and it's fresh fish for us, we go to the wet market and we buy what's freshest, what was just caught by a fisherman, a small time fisherman. And you, you know, the food chain and my mom, she puts so much reverence on that. She goes to this particular fishman, fisherman and to think that her nine year old just threw it all out in the sink that she toiled for the entire morning, you know? And, um, I was like crying and I was so mad and she was crying and she was so mad. And then we both calmed down and, and she said, you will eat when you're hungry. And she didn't offer me because there would be times when I didn't want the food and she would cook another one because it was just me. And she had the time all have left the roost and, you know, and then the next day she said, let's go to the market. And so I would never forget that. Because uh, she knew the the vendors, the fishermen's family, children. She knew their lives and where that food came from. So we shopped. And then when we got home, knowing where this beef came from, the child's name of that, that woman who raised that beef, kind of like, okay, this is, this is solemn. This is something sacred that she's passing on to me. So as I was slicing, as I was... And then she would tell me, mom, with the older kids, for us, physical, they would slapping and, you know, those kind of things. It was normal at that time, the generation. But she, she was so full of understanding and compassion for a nine-year-old mean, mean brat. <laughs> <laughs> she was, I was like looking up at I, 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 the funny thing is I didn't feel like guilt, just hundred percent. She didn't make me feel guilty, but she made me understand, understand that that food is just not something you toy with. It's important, especially for someone like us who you, you gotta understand. We came from a country that there was martial law at that time, coup d'etat, a president that has been sitting there for like 30 years or something. That if if you're like just a, a nobody, like, you know, all you had is food, a healthy food. So you got to value that little things in life because there's so much, so much corruptness going around you. There's so much censorship. Of course, I was too young to understand those things. But in one dish, my mom was able to enca encapsulate. And from then on, I, I never looked 
at food, much less like throw a piece of rice grain. So, so do you think that that was like when you knew food was going to be a thing for you or was it really much later once you came here? And I mean, like, did you always love food even oh, though yeah. you weren't cooking it? You know, like, did that make you love food? Food for me, like we just ate breakfast. I'm already thinking about our mid afternoon snack. I'm that kind of child. You never have to. I was never a picky child. I love food because it reminds me so much of family and my mom. It's like I always identified it as nourishment. So tell me about like what would make you go from food lover to like, I mean, Kamayan, am I saying it right? Do I say it right? Is it Kamayan or Kamayan? Kamayan. Kamayan. Kamayan means to eat with your hands, but it means more than that. It means coming together communal community and then trusting the person next to you eating with your hands it's it's more like a it's not just eating with your hands per se it's the coming together and sitting down languidly not rushing and just really enjoying food and the person across from you yeah so it's 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 it means a lot more than just eating with your hands yeah, like um, when at the first pop up, one of my friends from San Francisco sent me this apron that says "Caution Filipino Cooking." <laughs> <laughs> Why? I still have that. I still have that uh, apron because she got it because I couldn't even boil an egg. Oh, but it's the it's the fire in me and the desire, the deep, deep desire to see Filipino food out there in Atlanta that they don't have to ask us anymore what the heck is seasick. I want to reach that level that you know what lo mein is, you know what any chapsuyo is, you know, I want, I want it to be on the same page. Tip and I would joke around that there's a totem pole among Asian cuisines and we're way below there. They call us the jungle Asian. What? (laughs) (laughs) They call us like the jungle island Asian. It's like way below. So like um, when you think of Asian cuisine, you look up to, let's say, Japanese is up there, you know, like even Korean. It's all in the mainstream. And then we're like... um, I don't want to. I don't want to blame colonization. It's a lot of people blame it that we've been colonized and owned by America, by Spain for so long that we just buried deep, deep our natural taste buds. That we just adapted, and then we came here to America. They always say among the Asians, we're the king and queens of assimilation. Like we just embrace, we blend, we speak the language, we look the part. And along the way, our cuisine got diluted and almost muted. That if you see something, um, oh, that reminds me of Chinese foods and certain dishes, but we're like the melting pot. So for me, colonization did as well um, with the cuisine. I, I don't want it to like, oh, we hate the Spanish for like, you know, because we we receive so many like rich ingredients because of the trade, because of being colonized. Let's like just Chinese sausage and pancit. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Let's just look at that side. We cannot change the past anymore. But we push forward. We pull all ourselves. Like people always say, oh, why do you keep on promoting other Filipino uh, pop-ups or, or Estralito or, or the other Kuya, it's because I believe that all of us has a spot on that landscape in, of the culinary landscape of Atlanta. I want, I want the strength in numbers. Is that why you always say, um, like why you always like say Filipino food movement? I mean, like when I moved, I live, I grew up here but then I lived in San Francisco for a long time and, and Filipino food was much more prevalent. They're still not as prevalent as one would think. Like I'm talking like two restaurants, you know, in San Francisco alone, but there was a Filipino girl in my culinary school class. And so they would give us these projects. Like you have to make something with like chicken, you know, like some sort of grain and whatever. And she would always make something Filipino. So that was like, that was the first time I had pancit. You know, like, and I, and, and as someone with Mexican flavors in their life, like the lime juice and like the brightness, 
like it felt familiar, but also not. I really fell in love with it. But when I moved back to Atlanta, there was nothing until Manila Mart happened and you happened. There was someone you could buy whole lechon from like yes, some years ago. Yeah. Yes. He still does it. We do it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but is that part of the Filipino food movement that you talk about? Like it's greater than you. Yes. Way greater than us. And that's why we always have this. I always have this hashtag community over competition. We're not competing with each other. We're all raising each other up. Um, there's no such thing as crab mentality within the Filipino community right now. If I make it on the front page of Atlantic Magazine, I want another Filipino to make it on the front page. Totally. So it's so just good karma. To, I mean, that's yeah. just good karma. So I, I try to like bring them in and collaborate and push them. I might badger some of them. <laughs> <laughs> and they would they would joke about it. But I just want company. I want I want to be able to look there. And let's say, um, like, Eater Atlanta has been so good. They always include us in the top 38 restaurants, which confuses a lot of people. <laughs> people always ask me, where do I get like, their food? Yes, I'm like, are, you um, open? are you open today? Is there dining? Is there singing? <laughs> are you just to go? And we always have to explain, well, F it. Why are you on the list? <laughs> you really told me that from San Diego. And um, it was like the Super Bowl and the, oh, a bunch of people from Texas who got mad at me for being close. And I said, sir, we are not a restaurant. Then why are you in the fucking list? Let <laughs> <laughs> you know, me contact them. I wonder, too. <laughs> well, because you're good and it would be an omission to not include your cooking. It's just wild to me. And the fact that you have such a good attitude about helping people and lifting people up. I mean, you say community, and that's definitely one of my questions for you that I had here. It's like, because like I said, it's like your food is so much about community, you know, just even like you're saying, gathering around the table, eating with your hands. How has that changed? Like in the past year, I mean, you did some pivots, you did your, your platters to go. What has that? (laughs) Early on after Lauren, your friend. Yeah. It was her, Ashley. We were, already thinking about it but i was just like okay let's take a breather right now it was back in april and everything was just so insane and then may may your friend around may she reached out to me because her anniversary was coming up and she was one of your guests at that um the kamayan oh when you published that video of you putting together <laughs> the table and this pod goes out because it's so it just shows you you know, in your element, you started doing these to-go platters mm-hmm. because when COVID happened to sit around and, and the and listeners, if you don't know how this kind of style of dining goes, you sit down. Mia really crafts a mosaic of edible art on banana leaves as you sit there. So the food is being placed and you just eat with your hands and the thing that always shocks me is how many people you have actually done this for. What is your biggest one that you've done? The very biggest one, the one that sticked they said it's the biggest in the U.S. Um, it was 260 people for the Kamayan spread. <laughs> and the, it had no electricity, no water. We had to bring in everything, create everything in a dilapidated, abandoned building at Prepulment. And um, and then we had to break it down right after. It was the longest day of my life. <laughs> it was crazy. That was crazy yeah. looking. It was. It felt like a wedding day for me that I didn't remember a thing. But they were saying Taria was there. Everybody was there. <laughs> and they were saying I was like levitating at some point. <laughs> You're listening to the Food That Binds with Jennifer Zeman on the Eat Drink Dine Podcast Network. I'm speaking with Chef Amor Mia Orino. Can you explain to people what that looks like, what the what a table would look like at a typical event? So um, at a typical event, we could go as much as 26 dishes whenever I felt like doing on that particular pop-up. So up to anywhere from 15. The most we've done is 27 dishes, according to Carlo. He, had, he always had to rein me in. And setting it up, I don't have, it's like a black blank canvas for me. 
I don't plan, oh, this is going to go here. This is going to be symmetrical. I don't like it to be symmetrical. But it ends up sometimes symmetrical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a ruler or a tape measure, and they don't, you know, so this goes. So it's just like freehand, whatever I'm feeling. So it ends up nothing is exactly the same. Although people kept on, I guess, to streamline the menu as well, we came up with us most requested dishes as we, as we grew as we got busier and busier because there there would be times we would do like three in a day of those and it takes a toll on the crew and i'm very hands-on not because i'm obsessive and a neat freak <laughs> as you might have seen <laughs> but for me it's just like a matter of balance so that's how we came up with a modern um like a list of menus but it turns out it's like a little piece of me goes into that spread so there was like a couple of weddings that i wasn't around because we kind of double booked <laughs> and the, the bride said your heart was not on the spread I oh my said, god you're not around so she could tell i wasn't there i was at another event doing the exact same thing I mean, kind of harsh but i <laughs> and it hit me it hit me so yeah so i started like learning how to not go 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 and learn to say no because i would receive like oh it's my 90 91st birthday of my mom it's their 50th wedding anniversary and i just i just want them to feel how it was back in the philippines 50 years ago when they got married so I wanted to bring back that it's such a it's such I mean like you know to be asked to cook for something like that you only have like fifty how many fifty wedding anniversaries <laughs> around is happening in this time in this world right so but I have learned to say no I have learned to decline I have learned to limit because I have other people now other people I employ it's not just me or the family I'm abusing with long hours. Well, I mean, you have a huge, you have, I mean, no. I mean, you have a huge business now, so I have to imagine you need help. You just no. can't do it all. No, so, you have to say no. Yeah. It's amazing when people say, how long have you been around? Two and a half years, two, two years, nine months. Our anniversary is late June. It would be our third year. But they said, oh, 2020 doesn't count, but 2020 did count for us. We were, we did way better than the previous year. So this should be a story or a, a tale for any listener that, you know, thinks that you're too, it's too late to start. Like they say, oh, Julia yeah. Child oh. didn't start cooking yeah. until she was 40. You didn't start cooking until 40, you're yeah. 47. Yeah, 48, almost 40, 48 pretty much because June of 2018, my birthday is August. So I was almost 48. And so, yeah. And, and within a year, you were on the cover of Atlanta Magazine. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. So I always wanted to share that. I, I haven't even shared it. That for me, don't like I was like down in the dumps, a marriage, a 13 year old marriage ended. I had nothing. I walked away with nothing. Um, I would just a backpack just so I could have my freedom. I didn't even have um, a walk or anything to start with. But it was like, and then my mom, it was like one thing after the other that year. 27 year was the dumps. 2017, but it gave me the biggest lessons in life that, you know, okay, I may be 20, 47, had, I had no bank account because I came from a marriage that the, the man, you know, held the bank account and never saw the balance. I had to ask for $20 if I needed $20. So I came from that space to this that i am i wear the pants i'm sorry carlo but this time i don't want to i don't want to punish you but i am going to voice out i am going to be loud i am going to take i'm going to stand as a woman this is my thing this is my baby this is my business i'm going to grow it and i'm going to own it and it's mine and you cannot take it away from me i left dc i grew a cleaning company from zero employees to 80 employees with two branches and i walked away from that but it was okay because i've been reborn <laughs> and 
and a lot stronger, a lot stronger. I mean, Carlos seems to like really let you shine though. And he's so supportive. I mean, when you guys work together, it's so fluid. I don't know if I could work with the person that I'm in a relationship with. What's it like? It is Quiddy's job today. Goodbye, Kaiser. Goodbye, Kaiser. (laughs) Too much juggling for him. Too much juggling for him. He has so many side hustles. As an immigrant, we always have that. We got to like nest egg, nest egg, egg, nest egg until I can stand in my two feet. I'm going to work, work, work and amass this nest egg because we don't want to be a burden to our children. And we wanted a better life. We came here for, you know, the next generation to, to shine. And so we work our asses off, but I told him, what would it take for you to quit Kaiser? Let's do the numbers. I'm not good at numbers, but I'm going to reach that number no matter what, because he has work. He has worked three jobs. He came here. He was a doctor in Manila. He came here. He took whatever job he could. He was a doctor in Manila. Yes, he was a doctor in Manila, but uh, life happens, you know. And now what is what has he been doing at Kaiser? He, he's been like a lab director. Oh, he moved up the ranks. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but he's going to quit this because you guys are opening a restaurant. No, I yes. mean, like, yeah. Yes, we're, yeah. we're so damn busy. And I, oh, my I just, God, it's so exciting. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm so excited for you. I mean, it's big. <laughs> Having this type of setup where... The food is on banana leaves and you eat with your hands and then, you know, a global pandemic happens. Like, what did that do to the business? I mean, like we talked about before, you did these platters to go that had a revolving mix of dishes that you also got to play around with and showcase some really interesting things. But what did that look like? For me, like uh, changing from from a Kamayan to a a platter. I just remember there was a post when you're like, I can't see your faces while you eat my food, you know, which is weird for me or something like that, where you were like, normally I'm feeding you, but now it's pick up and we can't yeah. touch, you know, kind of that vibe. Yeah, we had to hold back a little bit with our hugging for a while. So we, we tried to make I, I, my my idea was for you to still experience it, feel the love and still be able to to share it with your family. So it's still communal in a way with your friends, with your trusted, with your loved ones. Um, I don't want it because that's the core of what Kamayan is. And so, so when you receive that platter, I want you to still feel that very core and who we are and how we started. It's not just going to be just a to-go tray or something you picked up and then you reheat and you nuke it in the microwave. You know, I want you to be able to sit down still, be able to give thanks that you have this feast in front of you, that you're still able to share it with your loved ones or, or your Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Look what I'm having, you know. I, I, wanted, I wanted them to open this, and then, whoa! It's not like just putting jump, like you know. To a go gift. I mean, it feels like a gift when you get it. it yes, because really yeah. I mean, you do. You are meticulous. Even though I was looking at the meals that you make for the free fridge, you have like little flowers yeah. in them. I mean, you're yes, yes. Because my mom, my mom did a lot of community work in Manila. She taught for a long time women, housewives, to start their own food businesses. And she would always say, "I would sit there, I would sit," and she would always say, "The eyes eat first. The eyes eat first. And it stuck with me. So she's telling those housewives, okay, you're telling me you can't cook, but make it pretty and maybe some of it. <laughs> That's a very good lesson. I love it. Did yeah. you hear that, housewives? Just yeah. make it pretty. It doesn't matter how yeah. it tastes. But so my, mom, my mom would say that. So I share that. But at the same time, the community thing happened because living in Washington, D.C., I volunteered for a long time for a battered women's shelter. And coming from race, being raised by a strong, strong woman, and I being in that relationship, not realizing I was being abused, not physically, but there are other forms of abuse. Yes. And I was like um, volunteering. How ironic is that? I was volunteering at a women's shelter and then I got pissed off. Why are you here again? Black and blue. Why can't you get, you know, just leave the goddamn, you know, guy. And I would realize it's either they couldn't speak English much, they're immigrants, they didn't have papers. So I said, hmm, I'm I'm very obsessive. And I, I thought about my mom. I couldn't 
taught them a food business and but i'm good at cleaning boy my house is spotless from you can eat off the bathroom floors so i said dc is such a rich area and both of it's a two you know both parents work let's start a cleaning business so that's how i started with my cleaning business by accident um through tax it was called tax at that time it's doorways now and then i just hired those battered women to clean houses we didn't know what we were doing half of the time because i've never started a business but i think it wasn't me whenever i get mad i just start something and then it works it clicks <laughs> <laughs> and then before before you know it see it never comes from you know thinking i just let my heart overtake me and then the, the thinking comes after yeah so um and then before i knew it i had like 80 employees i had two branches like we were serving dc maryland but at some point we couldn't hire all the battered women because you know we we had to like hire like like regular channels but we we work with catholic charities a lot with immigrants so going back to the community so moving here Whenever I would do a pop-up, I would try to look for a charity to to donate. But I'm never one one of those that, oh, I have an extra $100. I will give you $100. I want to be able to immerse myself. You want to touch and feel it. Yes, yeah. touch and feel and action, action-oriented. And a lot of them, you have to jump through hoops. And I don't like it when there's like a director being paid six figures, a CEO being paid, you know, I want something like in the grassroots and free 99 French is something like that. You just no hoops, no strings, kind of like thing. You just, if you want to cook a hot meal and leave it. I, I reach out to Leticia and she said, what do you mean guidelines and rules? Here it is. <laughs> oh, great. Awesome. We got started because I want something that's action oriented. No community project or no charity project is ever perfect. But for me, this one works and it works well. And so when, when I when I prepare, I I kind of like enjoy it. I really enjoy it because when I'm not paid, and Carla would say, why are you not sleeping in? I would wake up at 5.30 in the morning because it's it's Monday motivation for me. I kind of like do those meals and then I think it in my head and then, oh, what am I going to do? And then I, I, I try to look at from from the person opening that container when you're like the entire stack of cards is against you're up against the wall and you're at the dead end you've been looking for a job for like 35 days and they think it's all just blacks or minority no the people i see at the fridge it's from every gender every age group there was a pregnant woman in that freaking rain uh, two mondays ago I couldn't forget that. I wanted to rush to her and tell her, wait for it to taper off, girl. <laughs> but the hunger, hunger overtakes you. And, you, you know, and so for me, for I want someone to open that and, and to feel that someone cared, cared enough to take the time to put a flower, to like make those kiwi, kiwi sculptures, you know. I mean, you can tell, I mean, and like your mom, like, it's it's amazing that, like, you even consider that, you know, when you're giving. But I guess your mom telling you that people eat with their eyes. I mean, it also, I mean, your eyes also make you feel things. So if you can feel care in, a, in addition, to, if you actually can communicate care and then also nourish, that I think that's a really special gift. And how often do you do the free fridge meals now? We do every Monday and then whenever, because I want it to be freshly cooked, not leftovers, not scraps, not, oh, it's been sitting in our walk-in for two days. I don't want that. So everything is fresh. Everything is not a leftover. And then when we have an event and then someone forgets, or there are people who have paid for somebody's meal, you know, and they would order and then they would tell us just, put it in the fridge. We have done that. So it varies, but the regular one is every Monday, no matter what, except for like, let's say I had an interview that day or I have a meeting with a bridezilla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are many of them. Um... <laughs> so I try to make it a habit. I'm all into like 
making it a part of me, but I don't want it to be like, oh, a drudgery or, oh, it's Monday again. I got to do those meals. No, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm not going to do it at all. If Because for me, a little, a little piece of your heart, your spirit shines through your food, what you put out for either for your family or friends or for strangers. But yeah. it isn't charity. And because that's something that Candy and I had discussed and that Letitia really schooled me on from her post, yeah. uh, you know, that it's mutual aid. Yes. And, and, and how is that different to you? Mutual aid versus charity? Charity for me, uh, it has come to a point now that charity is convenient for some mm. people. Yeah. Could, charity is when you're, oh, you know, it's just like, oh, it's a tax break. It's for me, it, for a lot of people, people do charity because of the tax break. That's the reason why free 99 French, I love it because I'm not going to be able to file it as a tax break. It's I'm not doing it because they're a 501c3 entity because they're not. So it's coming from my heart and I don't want it at the end of the day, at the end of the year, I gave this and this amount of food to free 99 fridge. It's all been forgotten. I don't want it to be that. And that is mutual aid for me. That's amazing. That's a really great delineation because it is something that I didn't think about. And I guess it also does play into, you know, I just, when I think of you and your business, it just feels so community focused. Speaking of community, when the shootings happen in Atlanta at the massage parlors, and and it made the national news. You know, you were part of a group of culinary, really mostly females, no? It was all female? Uh, all female Asian women within the culinary and beverage space um, who rallied. And not only did you rally, you were very vocal. I mean, you were really vocal. Can you talk about that time? I lost followers because I didn't sleep at, that night because... I know people who had worked in, I, I know people, I know Filipinas who had worked in massage parlors so that they could save money back to their country. There's nothing wrong with that. I am nothing against that. So going back to that uh, shooting. So we were, we were at Ruby Chow because we went to Sweet Almer and, and Anita, they were so fully booked. And Gion said, let's go to Ruby Chow. We rarely have a day off. We rarely see each other anymore because everybody is running on. And so we were at Ruby Chow and then we were so unaware. We were just having a relaxing night. Someone, we are women who run their own businesses, who employ people, white, blacks, Latinos, Asians, and we can afford a dinner at Ruby Chow with whatever drink we want to get. Well, women of our own color, our skin color, ethnicity, oh, just women were gone down. And at that very moment that we were having such a good time and then I couldn't sleep that night and um, I couldn't sleep and I t we have a group chat and we unanimously we said you know and I wrote that so early in the morning I wrote that post I don't go back to my posts I would edit for grammar I always not read whatever I'm feeling at that moment whatever I'm feeling I put it out there and it's in all honesty, it's not about the likes, it's not whatever I'm where, where I'm at at that you know particular period of time. And I lost followers. I, I receive messages, hateful messages. I receive. Why? Can you tell people what you posted if they didn't know the post? Yeah. Oh, so I said, we're not inferior. We're not quiet. We're, you know, Asian women. You know, we cannot just, we're not timid. We're here to fight. I don't exactly know the words anymore, but a lot of people took it against me that I'm being so vocal. Like, you know, people are already angry. Why are you adding to the anger? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I have the right to be angry. I think my, my anger is coming from, from a correct, right? I know, you know, it's not like out of, out of anything that needed to be justified, you know. It just needed to come out of you. Yes, it's yes. poison if you don't let it out. I mean, yeah. I, I believe what you said, Taria said, I mean, like, let it out. I'm all team let it out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did delete it. Tip of Gion, we're, we're all like very, we're very, 
if you see our group chat, the, the Instagram posts are very censored. <laughs> it's like very tame, but we are all we are all in it together. That we're oh the, the headlines might be different now, but we're not we're not gonna be like just pushing it back burner now. Where it's an ongoing thing, and we're just getting started. Well, can you tell people what you guys did to raise money? What we did was um, we gathered all these women, Asian women. Some of them have never been on the spotlight. They're just doing their own little businesses. But they reached out to us or we reached out to them. And we said, we're going to be, we're going to show our support, but not in a meek way. We cannot be meek anymore. The times of being meek is over that we have to be like, be out there. And uh, some people they said, oh, don't don't say that um, love us like you love our food, like it's conditional. But for us, it's quite literal. You know, you're, you're eating the goddamn shamai, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, but still, it goes back to that. I have a lot of Mexican Latino workers. And um, one work, one of my employees said, yeah, they, there's this one. I used to work in a taco um, and they would buy almost every night, every night. And they would say, and then at the same time, they will curse at us for not speaking English while buying our tacos, you know? So she was mad about that. And it goes back to that. I feel like if you are a racist, you shouldn't be allowed to eat tacos. <laughs> yeah. It's either we stand up now or it's just going to continue ad infinitum. Like, you know. And people bought up that box that you guys put together. Yes. I mean, I mean, it was fast. Like it went quickly. So you definitely have support. Yes. And you raised how much money? Over, I forgot now. Tip has the numbers, but 12K, 15K. We could have sold more, but some of the participants, they don't have the ability or the kitchen space to, mm. and we wanted it to be complete. We don't want it to be just four or five chefs or bakers in it. So we had to reach an agreement up to what number can you do without mm-hmm. pushing them because we're all in different smart. levels. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. But we could have, we could have done 500 boxes if we, if we no, want sure. it, but we don't want to exhaust and this is not just a one-time thing so we're doing another one for india this time with monica so it's going to be in early june um but this time i'm not as hands-on because of van gogh but monica and i we made friends back when we were still doing our own little thing <laughs> Her in the basement, me in her little tiny kitchen. She's impressive. I mean, she's very impressive. Yes, she is. She's she's one of my idols. I look up to her. She's a confidant as well. She gives me incredible tips and advice. Yeah, so we're here for each other. We've always we have this monthly lunch dates. <laughs> we have such a good community. It makes yes. me so happy yes. for you. You have such well, a lovely community. Yes. So Candy, Candy, and I we made friends. She was one of our first guests at my very first pop-up. Yeah, so Candy, Candy of Soup Belly and Monica, we've had like we've, several years now we do lunch, lunch dates every month, you know, to diss our husbands. <laughs> Everybody needs somebody to do that with. But so, yeah. so can you talk about what's next on the horizon for you, aside from doing another box in June? So much, so much coming down the pipeline where do i start (laughs) (laughs) first is mango uh we just got i don't know if you saw my story we just got this um this food truck no a trailer (laughs) which is like an irish pub trailer (laughs) (laughs) no no one warned us that it's going to be hard to take off the wrap but we'll figure it out and if I'll probably just cover it with banana leaves and you know, and bamboo and you know, call it a day. So we'll make it work. It's starting in Wednesday. I've never done this service six days a week, twelve to fourteen hour shifts, and um, not counting prep work. And for eight months straight, I'm excited. I'm, I'm up for the challenge. So but, what is it? I mean, what is it? Well, it's a Van Gogh art experience. And then there will be about four of us vendors. Originally, it was just the two of us, Abby, Singer, and us. But I begged, you know, to bring someone in. 
<laughs> just so all the people will be fed, you know, and not line up for two hours. So Supremo, Dwayne, Dwayne is half Filipino too, you know. No, I did so not know that. Yes, Dwayne. So like whatever we would say, oh, we're claiming Dwayne, he's half of us. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be four of us, four or four or five of us, and that would be eight months straight. And then on the weekends, they want to bring in more food pop-ups we'll see how it goes um and then uh we because people love they happen to love my barbecue marinades and my other and it's such a big country and and people always say can you ship it to us so i'll start shipping some of our products and of course the bungalow the little white bungalow that used to be green that's 120 years old and god knows all the problems that we're going to be facing <laughs> But I'm, I'm passionate about that uh, bungalow because our house in Manila had a little koi pond. And that was just a little pond on the front. So we're converting that into a restaurant. But it's not going to be, most of it will be like outdoors. And um, so probably that won't happen till next year. So 2022, yes. people can look for it. And is yes. it going to be named... Probably stick with Kamayan. Kamayan, everybody knows now, um, and we don't we don't care if you pronounce it wrong or right, as long <laughs> as you know the meaning of it. Um, so we might stick with that. Plus, I have like ten thousand stickers. <laughs> so what happens to what happens to the catering business um, in come June? For now, I'm postponing everything except for the weddings that we've already committed to. Mm -hmm. And um, if you make a strong case, <laughs> if you appeal to her bleeding heart, because she's yes. a big heart woman, yes, you yes. may, if the 91 year old grandmother, yes. the yes. 50 year old, yes. So people, if they want to find you, of, of course, Instagram is a great place um, or your website, which is Kamayan Atlanta. And then also at the Van Gogh exhibit, the immersive exhibit that is opening in June. Is it June? No, I have tickets May, for the, May 19th. May 19th. I have tickets for June. Yes, but it would be evolving. I get bored. So, yeah. <laughs> I like that about you, though. I like that you get bored because it makes me want to check what's in this box or what's on this platter that you're ordering during this week because it's not always the same. Yes. And, and it's a nice way to learn, too, because I'm, I'm also. I think that's what I've really enjoyed about all the takeaways that I've been able to learn more about Filipino food. You're, I think you're a very good teacher as well. I did my first cooking class the other night and um, my heart was probably, you could hear it through the screen probably because I've never taught so many people have asked me to teach. I just felt like um, I didn't have it in me. <laughs> and then I ended up enjoying it. It's, it's over. We should have chosen a more <laughs> complex dish. <laughs> it could always do more. As I say, you can just have like all these revenue streams. But then so you'll be at Van Gogh, maybe some more cooking classes. And then otherwise people can look for your restaurant in 2022 at, you said it was Pullman Yards? At Pullman Yards? It's right across Pullman Yards in Kirkwood. It's this little, uh, it's a white bungalow that you will see with a little koi pond. So it would, it would, it would be like coming to your auntie's home. So yes. is there anything else you want to promote or is there anything that we did not touch on that you want to tell people? I can't think of anything else except that support my fellow Filipino puzzlers. They are out there, you know, they're amazing bakers. Estrelita, of course, if you want to sit down <laughs> and not pick up a tray. <laughs> Estrelita in Grand Park. Um, Mike Adobo, of course, he's been doing pop-ups. He's a, or another hardworking kid with a full-time job and still hustling on the grind. So I want everyone to just shine and not just me. <laughs> I think that's one part of you that makes you shine. I really appreciate your time, Mia, and, and thank you so much. And I will be there the first week that you open that restaurant. And I can't wait to eat at Van Gogh. Thank you, Jennifer. That's a wrap for this week's episode of The Food That Binds. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Mia for joining me and sharing her story. You can follow her as Kamayan Atlanta on social. Look for her food truck outside of the Van Gogh experience and via her website at KamayanAtlanta.com. If you want to keep up with me on social media, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. 
please don't forget to rate and review because it helps people find the podcast. Next week is a little different. The night that this podcast debuted, I found some audio of an interview I did with Anthony Bourdain seven years ago when he was here for a show. Since it's been three years since his death, it struck me how intensely I responded to it. And when I shared on social media that I'd found it, the resounding answer was that people wanted to hear it. So I'm going to play the audio. And then my dad, who's also a big Bourdain fan, is going to join me. And we're going to talk about just what he meant to us and the world at large. It's a special episode. I hope you enjoy.